if you do not have some relationship with looking at yourself every day and saying, that was enough, you did your best and it was enough, then you live as a disappointment every moment of your life because nothing feels like enough ever. That is so not our natural nature. So a question for you. When was the last time you felt truly at peace with yourself? Like you could look in the mirror or dip into your more personal thoughts and self-talk and just kind of know you were good. Like you embraced your body and your mind in all their humanity, the state of your relationships, your health, your career, your life, no matter what was going on within you or around you. And you were just able to feel at peace with exactly who you are and are not, what you've accomplished and have yet to explore, and how you show up in the world. Getting to that place for so many of us is just so hard. But my guest today, Cleo Wade, can help. Born and raised in New Orleans, Cleo's writing and poetry have been a source of this kind of inner kindness and self-forgiving and celebrating wisdom for me and for so many over so many years. She's the New York Times bestselling author of books like Heart Talk and Where to Begin, which share messages of hope and resilience and the power of community. Her newest, Remember Love, Words for Tender Times, could not come at a better time. It's a collection of poems and essays and inspiring words that invite us to embrace who we are and nurture our spirits in what she describes as tender times. And the poignancy of Cleo's words and observations have really only deepened as she's traversed her own transitions and struggles over the last handful of years. From becoming a new mom and finding her way through a brutal season of postpartum depression to navigating profound shifts in her relationships and identity. And in our conversation, Cleo and I explore how poetry can anchor us when we feel lost. We look at the importance of tuning into our natural rhythms versus the frantic pace of technology and how embracing life's changes as natural allows us to grow through grief. And for Cleo, it's really, it's just not about striving. It's about accepting our own value as a birthright. It's a homecoming. I know her words will stay with you long after this conversation ends, reminding you of your own inner light. And throughout our conversation, Cleo reads a number of deeply moving passages and poems that I know you really love and you may even return to to listen to over and over again. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. This is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. 
hosted by Juliana Ertube, a special education expert. This season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. I love certainly the opening idea also that the name of the book is Remember Love. And it comes from an experience that you had with listening to Tara Brock, who like you and I are these long time, sort of like long distance devotees of Tara and her work. I was wondering, because I feel like it really sets the tone for the book. I don't know if you have a copy with you. I do. Would you mind actually just reading it like on page eight, like those couple of pages that open it? Because I feel like it just gives such beautiful context to the rest of the work. Yes. Uh, and you know what's cool? I've never read this out loud. I know how to love myself on a regular day, feeling like my regular self. But nothing really prepares you for how to feel good about yourself when you don't feel like yourself. It is hard to love a stranger. It is extra hard when change has turned you into the stranger. Lying awake in the night, my racing heart grabbed my inner megaphone and repeated the words, something is wrong with you, so loudly it echoed through my bones. It was a lie that felt true and I couldn't unhear it. Self-love is often spoken about like a battle we either win or lose, but it manifests more as a bird in flight. It is minute to minute. There are moments we glide through the sky, riding the wind with ease, and there are moments we must exhaust our wings to survive the elements. On my worst days, I forgot I had wings. I believed every negative thing I thought, whether it made sense or not. In hopes of finding a little comfort during my tough time, I ran a bath one night and put on a talk by Tara Brock, a meditation teacher and psychologist I have listened to for over a decade. As I sat Staring at the ceiling for half an hour, kind of listening, kind of not, I heard two words that jolted me from the haze of my brain fog. Remember love. It was as if she had not said a single word except these for the past 30 minutes. Remember love. I write because I know the power of words. Words have saved me every time I needed saving. These two words did something to me. They saved me. I began to ask myself if I could remember love. When life changes, can I remember love? When I change, can I remember love? When my relationships change, can I remember love? When I remember love, I remember I am resilient. I can love myself through a hard time. I know this because I have done it. I remember that my spirit is soft but durable. I remember that my love belongs to me when I'm at my sturdiest and my most fragile. I remember that my life is bigger than whatever noise surrounds me. I remember that clear days have always followed my storms, even when the storms felt like hurricanes. I remember love, and I remember my wings. 
I remember I can fly. So beautiful. Thank you. It's interesting because the word remember is really important in that uh-huh. because it's not about finding, it's not about seeking, it's not about creating. You're signifying, you're saying, no, it's actually, this has been a part of you. Yeah. You know, for time immortal. And it's about reconnecting with that. And I love that frame because it's different. It's less of a striving and more of a being. I think also, you know, so much of this book is about this return to self. This idea that love is our love for ourself is our birthright. It just is. And knowing that is so critical. And this is the first book I'd written since having children. And something I noticed as a parent is when you watch your child from zero to, I now have a three and a half and and I have a second child who's two. When I watch them, they love themselves with ease. They love themselves and they are four months old and they're chewing on their own toe. They delight in themselves when they have their quirky outfits on and that are inside out and stomping in a puddle. They do not think anything is wrong with who they are. They love themselves. And that was such a, the observation of that, because though I'd spent time with children so much in my life, I, there's nothing quite like living day to day with a child. There's a really intimate understanding in, in how you observe them if you're watching. And um, it was so clear to me and so confirmed, which is also an idea that helped me when I was going through postpartum depression that the love was there. I had to get, I knew, I at least knew what I was getting back to. I knew I was going back to something that was already there that already belonged to me. So it was just something that I had and couldn't access. It wasn't something that I, where would I find it? Is it a possibility? Do I know if I have it or not? I knew it was there because I saw it be born in my own daughter's. It's funny. I remember as you're speaking, I had this momentary flashback of probably 20 years ago, a conversation I heard with David Crosby, where he was saying that he learned more about life back then, spending 15 minutes watching his toddlers play than he did 15 years studying with a guru. And I think when you're really paying attention, you see so much of what we aspire to grow into and to achieve and to become as adults is a returning to that state that yeah. we, we started out at, you know, and it's sort of like so much of it is just allowing rather than aspiring. And the poem either right before that, those pages or right after is called Homecoming. And it was the first poem that I had written for when I knew I was writing this book. And it was this idea that, you know, we through neglect, we find this disconnection you know, and we neglect ourselves often because life happens and change happens and it makes us different. And when we're different and behaving differently, we usually are like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Rather than saying, okay, you're different. What do you need? And today is different. What do you need? If you live in wherever you live and the sun is out, and you say, the sun is out. Okay, what do you need? Sunscreen. Okay, it's raining. It's raining today. What do you need? It's a, the days are different and the day is still the day and each day is different. What do you need is actually the question that allows for us to give care with flow every day. I wonder if we sometimes ask that more of others than ourselves. Do you have any sense of that? I think when we are in service of others, 
we receive affirmation of being helpful and any type of affirmation feels like love because so many of us, we want soothing. We we all want to be cuddled and nurtured and soothed, which is why we look for things to self-soothe that are, you know, far outside and not sustainable. And we look for it in relationships. And so we think oftentimes we're very good at attuning to others' needs because at some point, in some way, we get a reaction from them that says, you are lovable, you're good, you're right. And we don't often have that type of dialogue with ourselves within. You're not like, oh, that was great of you. Good job. You. <laughs> we usually hear that you're not enough. That's not enough. That was good. But what about this? And oh, everyone liked it except that one person or, you know, and so I think that kind of inner environment isn't one affirmation of goodness, fundamental goodness is as present. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Part of the early part of what you just shared also, what you, the reading that opens the book or sort of like shares how the book's name came to be. You know, the early part of that is also how do we learn, remember to love ourselves when we feel like we become a stranger to ourselves, when we yeah. can't actually even recall who we are. Like we don't know who the being is anymore that we would remember to love. And I feel like so many times that happens when we become adults, when we become parents. You know, we hear so many folks say, I've lost my sense of self, my identity. And it's hard to know where to direct that feeling when you can't even remember who to direct it to. Yeah. And I think that's where what do you need becomes fundamental because when you feel like so much of what creates this or feeds that feeling of of being a stranger. And, And I was really specific with the words in that sentence where I said, when change turns the stranger into you. You know, because there is every time you feel like a stranger, you will find that change was happening somewhere. And change is life and we need change and change is growth. And, you know, we need those moments of feeling like a stranger because they lead to incredible moments of contemplation and intention setting and asking for help and seeing which hands are helpful hands in your lives and which are not. So these these moments are are critical to our evolution. And I think so much of what deepens the whole of feeling like the stranger is you just keep trying to treat that person like the person you felt like before. And so, so much of um, when I was even writing about recalling that story of putting on, getting in the bath uh, to listen to Tara Brock, I was saying that when I talk about this, um, because I haven't read that passage before, but I talked about it on my tour, is that I just kept doing all the things that should have worked when I felt like myself. But I wasn't myself. I was someone who has lived through or was living through it past a global pandemic, sending everyone inside. And I'd had two kids and I lived in a different city and I had so many things that were different. And so why would I feel if I have self-care as a toolkit, why any of the tools in that toolkit would function for a completely different person? And so even I started to pause and say, okay, like, what is the first thing I could do to help? Okay, a bath has always made me feel better. But you know, I'd say 10 years ago, a bath would have been my solution to a hard day. Hmm. If I put on a bath and got in the bath with Tara Brock, I'd actually be hanging on to every word and I'd get out and I'd go to bed. And the next day I would have said, I alchemized the experiences and day of yesterday and I can start fresh. And I feel better. When those things aren't working, that's when it's time to say, okay, what's going on? Do you know what, what do you need? Because 
you know, try with the stuff you do know that helps. And when it's not helping, are you just trying to give someone who needs to now be a vegetarian like a big steak? And to know, yeah, it's sort of like, is it that they're the tools are failing or that I'm just different? And it's time to sort of evolve the tools, evolve the way I'm thinking about it or stepping into it. Change the tools. Is, and, and that's why it's so important to have discipline in the sense that care is always there. And we have to the discipline about putting ourselves on the map in our life. And where we need fluidity and flexibility is what does it look like? So really, it's like, give yourself two hours. And doesn't mean it's a block of two hours, but give yourself throughout the day, 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there, 30 minutes there and there. Care comes in hard. Let it look different. Maybe it's a walk. Maybe it's just moments with your favorite song in silence and no one's really allowed to talk to you. Maybe it's this, whatever it is, but have the discipline around the presence of care. And as you change and as you grow and you go through and what you need, let what the care looks like shift and change. You know, it's interesting, the opening line, and I've heard you share variations of this poetry, this is my therapy before I could afford a therapist, which is which is funny. And and also like there's a lot of truth in that, right? Yeah. Do you feel like because what I'm wondering is are there things that have been a go-to for you, or no matter who you are, what you become, what place in your life, there are these through lines because it feels like for you poetry, it feels like in conversations we've had in the past also, music, art. These are not just forms of expression for you, but they're forms of reconnection, remembering of solace that keep coming back to you and that you keep returning to. And maybe expression is solace for a lot of people. You know, I think you have to always ask yourself, and I certainly do, what in my life do I know for sure is life affirming? Like that just brings out your aliveness and makes you happy to be alive. And I know we joke about my obsession with Jazz Fest, which is very real. And I'll also tell you that last two Jazz Fests ago, I was coming out of the depths of my postpartum depression with Bayou. And it was, I was phasing out, you know, because obviously you have not been pregnant before, but it does either, it, you know, turns into something else, but it does not stay at the P. It, it is so chemical that it does. And so it was kind of ending. And um, I was on the fence. Do I go to Jazz Fest? Do I not? Because I was just kind of feeling really lethargic. And a bunch of my girlfriends that I go with all the time said, you're going. And as I planned it, I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to bring even my kids with me. And, but I, in my kind of self-care, I said, okay, I'm going to put my kids hanging out at my mom's house. I'm going to stay at the hotel where all of my girlfriends are. And I went to Jazz Fest and I went every day. And it's not like, you know, Jazz Fest is not a silent retreat or like a yoga retreat. It is like you are just drinking beer and you're hot and you're sweaty and you're on the bike and you're eating red beans and rice. And it's a really... It's a, if for some people, it'd probably be an unenjoyable experience. There's a lot of elements. It's a lot going on. The sun is beating. You can like barely want to wear clothes. You're sweating so much. And as I was there by the end of day three, I was, I was called on to remember, oh, this is life affirming. I've been going to this every year since I was in my mom's wound. I've missed Jasper's one time. I remember, God, this is what's so important. And then it was really crazy because 
right after that, I, I remember calling Simon and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take the girls because we're already at the sa- in the South. I'm going to take them to the beach for a couple of days before we come home. Because the one kind of trick about having moved to LA is that LA went through like a cold time once I moved here. And so this like LA has got the perfect weather and it's so warm was not real for me. And so I go and I sit on a really, really hot beach in the South. And I remember that I was like, God, I just needed cold water and warm sand. And I went for two days. And then we came home and I was really revitalized, not because I had green juice every day or meditated every day or did yoga every day or all of those different things that are also amazing and very like affirming. But I soaked in what I feel is the juiciness of the human experience, which is being in community, enjoying art in a really immersive way, eating food that is so is cared for and prepared with such love and tenderness and soul and being with people who are truly there to have fun, a fun, loving environment. And it completely shifted me into a new space. And so every time I think about that, since that period of time, you know, two years later, whenever it's a little funky, I'm always like, well, where is the concert I need to go to? Or who's the friend I haven't had dinner with? Where's the life affirming thing that is not going to be the kind of quintessential self-care tool. And it's not necessarily the tar of rock, which is also helpful, but it's the thing that helps get you out of your head and into aliveness and out of the constant even thinking or feeling space and into the like being in it presence of experience. That has been a real incredible addition to the ways in which I give myself care. I love that reframe. The question, what makes me feel alive? It's such an alive question because instead of saying like, you know, like, which of the self-care things on my checklist should I be doing today because I'm feeling like I need something? That's a fairly limited question because most of us have like a, this predefined list of things that qualify as self-care. But if you're like, what makes me feel alive? It could be death metal. It could be like whatever it is for you, you know? And there's a moment in which you have to befriend yourself to answer. Yeah. And that's important because only that's a such a, a question only a friend would ask you. Like, we, let's do something fun tonight. What should it be? The way that you could ask yourself that is to immediately befriend yourself. So you're already starting with the kind of juicy pulse. And so in that to then say, ah, oh, it is such a nice day. I'm going to just go towards the sun. I'm putting on my sneakers. I'm just going to go on a walk, even if it's just for 15 minutes. And that just to be in nature and notice aliveness made me feel alive. And sure that it could mean I didn't do the whatever, the things that I are on the shoulda self-care list. But where's the, how are we finding harmony in the shoulda and the, wow, oh my gosh, that awe, the list of things that leave us in awe or leave us in laughter. Because especially when the world feels Mm. so consistently harsh, those spaces of just, you know, that kind of Mary Oliver joy is not meant to be a crumb is so important. Mm, So agree. Especially as you described now, when the world is so full of harshness, you know, the subtitle of your book really references the experience of tenderness. You know, it's who is not feeling that on some level these days. You open your eyes and you're like, it's there. You move through the day, it's there. You put your head on the pillow at night it's there and you kind of know it's coming back the next morning. So 
being able to ask these questions, which let us reconnect. And also knowing it doesn't have to be these big momentous things. It could be these like tiny little things that just reconnect us. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight-up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. If that sounds familiar, you should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. You also certainly, you brought in this notion of, and, and, and this is where you sort of like really refocus the energy in your writing and around the notion of enoughness basically straight up saying, well, this is actually a mirage. And so many of us aspire to some version of not even just ourselves, but of life that is, quote, there, we finally made it. And 
the idea of letting that go on the one hand is unmooring, but on the other hand is forgiving and space creating in a lot of ways. I think the poem on that page says something like, enoughness is not a mountain. It is a mirage of a mountain. We don't need to climb it. We need to see through it. There's so much suffering we have because we cannot say, and that was enough. Because we live in a world that functions on crippling us with not enoughness. Because then we want the car and we want the house or we want the thing and we want the want the want the want that. You know, every day I say to my um my three and a half year old, you know, they're there's that phase of learning language. She's like, I want a treat. I want to like, and I was like, I was like, not, not with the, I want what's with the, I, I was like, I was like, I can't feed into the, I want energy. Talk to me. Can I have, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? You know, the, I wantness even starts so early. I want this. I want that. I see that. I want that. And I think for me, as somebody who is recovers as a perfectionist, recovers as a chronic doer. All of those things are fueled by not enoughness. You know, I even said to someone recently about um, someone who has kind of kind of ended up in some type of situation with like some type of like scandal, not stealing money, but something like that. And I remember saying to someone who was friends with the person, I said, you know, what do you talk to about them with them? And they're like, oh, well, they just talk about why parts of it was wrong or right or this or that. And I said, but is there this conversation with enoughness? Can we start with where we are and who we are is already enough? So I don't have to think about maybe taking investment from a strange space or a, do you know what I mean? I can just say, how do I find okayness in enoughness where I am that I can maintain the highest possible integrity of how I build and, and do or create the life I live in? And that is just the last thing on the list of how we conversate, I think now. And I think for me, where I bumped up to it against, bumped up to it most personally was in motherhood, in parenthood, because if you do not have some relationship with looking at yourself every day and saying, that was enough, you did your best and it was enough, then you live as a disappointment every moment of your life because nothing feels like enough for parenting. Nothing makes you feel like you did enough for your child that day, ever. And there's no way to do it all. And no matter what you do, if you do it all, you can have the day where you did the pickup and you did the drop up and you did the da 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 and you, did it, and you, you made sure everyone got their lunch and they, you cooked the dinner and then it lands on the table and they don't like what you ate. <laughs> so, and that's life in every space. You could say, you know, you make the book and you did it and you read the book in front of the crowd of people. And then there's the one person who fell asleep. <laughs> like, But in the conversation has to say, it was enough that I could read a book in public that was my own writing. And it's enough that I get to read words I love. And that is combating this nature, this kind of public atmosphere that becomes our nature that is so not our natural nature because no tree does not think it's enough and no river does not think it's enough ever. And that is so much more a natural rhythm than, you know, whatever social media is telling us or a billboard is telling us and building this ecosystem of not enoughness. Yeah. And so agree. And on some days just showing up is enough. 
that's what we have in ourselves. You know, like no matter what we yes. think is expected or demanded, like that's what we've got to give. But it is really hard to make peace with that, I think, because there's so many external pressures and expectations and societal norms that kind of say familial norms that say, well, that's actually not okay. So we have to make peace with our own definition of what is okay. Something you wrote in, I think, kind of speaks to this really nicely also. I'd love to ask you to read this too. Page 61 starts out, why do we wait to love ourselves? Why do we wait to love ourselves? Can we love ourselves without feeling like we need to be right, perfect, or good? Can we love ourselves whether or not we have the right job, car, house, body fat percentage, relationship, or family life? We don't need to earn our own love. It is our birthright. It wholly belongs to us no matter our circumstances. External validations don't lead us closer to love. We lead ourselves closer to love. It is within us. We connect to it by going inward. Love waits within. She is like a favorite auntie. Whether you haven't seen her in a day or a year, she opens her arms to you for a big hug and says, okay, tell me everything. And know how easily and quickly we get disconnected from love. When we feel sad, anxious, or depressed, it is hard to locate love beneath our symptoms. There have been times over the past couple of years when I thought, if I could just feel less tired or if my brain fog would just dissolve, then I could feel okay with myself. Then I could love myself. I'd forgotten that it is in those moments I need my own love the most. The truth is, we need our love every day regardless of how insecure we may feel. It is our stabilizing force. If we think we always have to be more in order to be loved, we will never be able to accept love, not from ourselves or anyone else. You already deserve to love and respect yourself. Befriend yourself. Love who you are today, no matter what it looks like. Mm. I love the imagery of the favorite auntie. Yeah, me too. As I was reading it. You just feel like there's a warm hug as soon as like everyone's going to bring their own visual of that to it. Um, yeah. And then to sort of imagine that, you know, she resides within us not outside of us. Yes, it's great to get that hug, in, but also we always have the capacity to give that to ourselves. I think is a real shift in perspective too, because so often we're just looking for it on the outside rather than trying to find it on the inside. And then we basically give away a sense of agency around it by doing that. Yeah, we need to, or when we, you know, there's another page that's kind of near that, that where I talk about um, when the, material is at the center of my goals. Even when I cross the the finish line and and have the gold medal, there's some loneliness there. But when the relational is at the center of my goals, I'm holding the gold medal or not, whether I was first or last, I am what's held at the end. And I think today's world, especially when we're living in so much isolation and we're still very disconnected as a community from being indoors and living in, I think, especially in America through our last uh, elections. And we aren't centering the relational, and that includes the relationship with ourselves. And so this idea that every day you can say, you have the power to say to yourself, what would make me feel loved? Uh, how could I be loving? And 
then I work backwards from how to make the day, create the day from that, rather than saying, what can I do that would make me deserve love? Like, you know, like instead it's like, I start like love, I don't have to earn it. It just, what excites it within me? And what gives me time or space for it? Is it that I ended the day at a certain time because that means I got to watch that movie on the couch with my kids? Does it mean I got the walk-in? Does it mean I put my favorite song on and dance by myself in the kitchen as I chop the onions? Whatever it might be, but what are those things that are the collection of the small moments where just love is present and there and in easeful? And could the day lead to those moments, the ability for us to have those moments be the goal of whether or not we were successful? that we were proud of who we were because of the joy we found rather than what we made did or the gold medal being around our neck. Mm, yeah, that resonates so deeply, I think. And it also brings in the notion of timing and seasons, which, which again, these are things that you write about and that you speak to, you know, and really internalizing that too and saying like, there's no sort of like timeline that I need to aspire to feel this way or to get to this place. And also acknowledging the yeah. fact that we have seasons in our lives that bring us different things where different feelings, different experiences are more or less available to us. And rather than trying to abide by somebody else's timeline or force us to be into a season that we're not, like what would happen if we own that? And then really inquired, what do we need in this space if we accept where we are on our own timeline? And to recognize that it's not seasons of life aren't just, you know, the winter of your life is not just when you're older. Right. It's, it's that in a single moment of your life, you could just be in a winter. And maybe the disconnect between you and your partner is that they're in a spring and you're in a winter and that's what's really hard and that the, both of those seasons need different things. And that all of these seasons have a completely different energy. You know, there's and it's so amazing to have these kind of summery seasons where, oh, it's just joy and it's fun and it's the sun and, and relaxation is at the center. And then there's winters that where you're just, oh, I've just got to get cozy and I've just got to protect myself and I feel like I've just got to get through and wait till it's over. And there's these springs of of just new ideas and doing and motion and dreaming and going. And there's these fall seasons of just, letting go and grieving and contemplating and thinking. And so I think when we realize that those seasons flow through us very regularly, not like, oh, I'm a spring chicken. It's the spring of my life when I'm this age. And it's that it's like more on any given time, reflect on what season you feel that you're in because, you know, so much of my hope in writing remember love was that we could find this natural rhythm so that we would stop trying to find a rhythm with the, our the world of technology and I'm not a person who you know I don't hate technology and I think it's a remarkable tool and can be so powerful and useful but something that has happened is because we are so deeply connected to a robot or device or computer being in our hands at all times, we have started to believe that our rhythm is its rhythm. And if your phone is moving more slowly, you think something's wrong with it. You're banging it around. You're like, I got to take this phone in. It's just, it's, this app takes forever to load. This 
If you are moving more slowly, you likely just need to be moving more slowly. There's nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. You are not needed being fixed. We have seasons where our body's natural flow is saying, move more slowly. I am trying to sustain a life here. That is never what is going on when your phone is moving more slowly. It is saying that, you know, if I walk down my canyon at one point in the year, there is no stream that goes beneath my this kind of ridge by my neighbor's house. And then at other times, it's a flowing stream. And, it's some, and during some rainy seasons, it's really high. And that is just what it is. And we don't even need to overthink it. It is what it is. And certainly the stream is not thinking anything about itself. <laughs> and so that's why I try to write my books. Anyways, I hope that people can just reclaim themselves out of these rhythms that just don't serve us. They're not the worst things in the world, but if we want to stabilize, if we want to connect with ourselves, if we want to reap the benefits of knowing love of self and care of self, you have to be in a rhythm where those things can actually flow and you can hear yourself without the false judgment of your computer that's malfunctioning. You're not malfunctioning. You just need different things. You need to move slowly. That is being a human being. Yeah. And I feel like a big part of that is our capacity to be present with whatever's going on and how things are. Because we don't, we can't own the fact that we're out of sync with some sort of rhythm that's intrinsic to us until we actually notice that there's something out of sync and we kind of say, huh, is this okay? Should, you know, is this a time for me to actually just pause for a minute, see how I'm feeling and see like, is there, a season or a rhythm or a pace that just feels more intrinsically mine at this point where I can step back into myself. I can remember myself. I can be and feel the way that I want to feel. You know, part of the thing that I think kind of knocks us out of those things sometimes, and again, this is something you write to is, is the experience of loss, the experience of heartbreak. And certainly with the state of the world over the last three, four years and currently, there is loss, there's heartbreak on every level, you know, whether it is immediate heartbreak of somebody, you know, individual in life or just at on a global scale. You pose a really interesting question in one of the essays, which is, are things falling apart or are they falling away? I was curious what was going through your mind as you sort of posited that question. Over the last few years, when I was moving to Los Angeles and just in general, I was having, personally having what, I know a lot of people could relate to this, this idea of um, your friends feel kind of unfamiliar to you or you're needing a change or you're not, you know, you're having some kind of shifts where, you know, maybe friendship breakups are present or things like that. But I didn't feel this kind of loss or conflict. It felt like almost a natural shedding uh, skin and again, I don't think a snake ever thinks about its skin shedding. I just, I just don't. I think it keeps moving and sees it as a part of its life. And I really considered I could frame this as what's wrong with you? You don't like the same people or this used to be fun to you or this isn't or this is da da da. Instead, I just leaned into this idea that I'm a natural growing thing that sheds and things fall away. And there's an everydayness of grief that exists in the human experience. And 
I can allow that to be a very regular part of aliveness. That was a really big aha for me because I think oftentimes when we're going through big changes that change how we socialize or, you know, there's a page of the book that says, you know, your social circles aren't necessarily your healing circles. You know, you've really, you have guilt and it creates a drama because somehow it's like if they were wrong or you were right, or this was that, and there, you know, we want to give everyone a character as if life is this constant play and we need to be rooting for someone all the time, or we have to be at, you know, in our own kind of personal inner justice league. Um, and, I remember, you know, I didn't have it at the time, but as I really thought about that time and how I wanted to alchemize having experienced that in, you know, in, in Heart Talk, I think this is in Heart Talk, but I there's a page that says, um, your life experiences are only as valuable as your ability to turn them into life lessons. And so, you know, a lot of my writing is not necessarily that I had some kind of guru-like moment where I got it right at the time. I didn't, but if I don't feel I'm getting it right, or I didn't feel that if I felt that I experienced something that I think a lot of people experience and my headspace is really frenzied, I usually take years of considering why it was and how it could have been, what mind frame would have made it different. So when I did that for that shift of life, I thought, gosh, you know, grief is every day shedding is every day. We don't need to overthink it. We don't need to dramatize it. We just need our own clarity, our own honesty, and to wrap the situation in love and integrity, even if love is a boundary that disappoints someone. But that's boundaries and do that all the time, unfortunately. And so, but as long as it's honest and it's true to you and it's done lovingly, and with clarity, then it is what it is. And so I think there's a poem near those pages that say it these this way sometimes, which is the saying my dad always says. And it's like, it's really kind of stepping into the old mantra of it is what it is. Mm, yeah. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight-up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's another poem, actually, in that section. I'd love to ask you to read it. Page 128, Heart, Mind, Body. I love this poem. Yeah, me too. This was the last poem that was added to the book. Heart, mind, body. We cannot only build empires. We must build homes. Places our eyes can close and find warmth by the fire. Our hearts cannot survive in skyscrapers. Our hearts want to leave their shoes at the door of a nearby forest and follow the trail. Our hearts want to feel the hum of the hummingbird. In the busy mind, it needs sun and sky. It begs to hear the nearby stream wash over its endless thoughts. Of course, I cannot forget the body. It told me to tell you it would like to dance and run free. Also, it kindly requested a quiet squeeze and an I love you as soon as you get a chance. Love that poem so much. Mm, so do I. It's like a, a giant exhale. <laughs> and it's a re, it's a different rhythm. Yeah. And so much of what I hoped with this book specifically was that it could invite us into a different rhythm because the rhythm that floods us currently in our devices is unhelpful, I find, and when it's not deeply boundaried. And so if we are going to allow the kind of, you know, our phones to tell us what our rhythm should be, that, I guess, is what I'd say is unhelpful. And so, so much, and I wanted to do this with Remember Love because Mary Oliver did that for me. I have anxiety and she invited me into a different rhythm when I read her work. And that was life-changing for me. It was my therapy before I could afford therapy. That's Lucille Clifton's work invited me into a new rhythm. Even Toni Morrison's work of fiction invites you into a new rhythm. The, the way that she writes is so, it's almost like a different language that it takes you the first 50 pages to even drop in because she's saying, come into this world and you have to become immersed to get in there and really feel the depths of her experience. And Nora Ephron did that, does that. You know, when you read Heartburn, it invites you into a radically different rhythm of this fun, observant, you know, quirky way of feeling and looking at the world, this personality. And, and I'm so grateful to 
all of those writers, but especially Mary Oliver, because you felt that every day she took you on her walk in the woods and you felt the healing it gave her through her words. And even if you didn't have access to a walk in the woods like me, a little girl in New Orleans who moved to New York City, I didn't start going on walks in the woods until five years ago. (laughs) So I feel so lucky that I got to do that through her, her words because I reaped the benefits of her healing journey. Mm. Yeah. One of the, I think the, the powerful elements of verse versus prose, not that you can't be moved to a different rhythm by both, but I feel like verse is often so different than our standard, our everyday rhythm, even like what we read, what we see, what we consume in all forms of media. It's a pattern. It is. It forces you to experience it at a different pace, a different cadence, a different rhythm. It's like it makes your mind, your brain, your body just, it forces you to shift gears. (laughs) Like you can't blast through it. Yeah, it's an invitation to drop in. I think that's why if you go to a yoga class or something and you're doing your savasana at the end, they're likely reading you a poem at the end and they're reading Rumi or they're reading Hafez or they're reading a Mary Oliver poem or by Angelou. And because as you are getting to the, or of this relaxed mode, they're giving you almost like a mantra to hold on to, to maintain that feeling you had at the end of that class. So you have those words to take with you that remind you of the possibilities of where your nervous system can be um, from that day. Yeah. And part of that is being willing to let go of where it has been and where it is right in that moment. And this is, this is sort of where you bring the book home also. You know, this is where you're like, okay, so let's talk about this experience of letting go. And as part of that, starting over. One of the early essays in that part of the book um, starts starting over as a part of our nature. And it's really about what if new beginnings were actually not something to be terrified of, but were something that were filled with possibility and also natural that you actually can't avoid. You know, so rather than stopping them from happening, what if we welcome them and looked for the spaciousness and the possibility within them? I love that you sort of invite us into the inquiry. Yeah. And again, it's putting or weaving grief into life as an everyday thing. You know, even having, um, I think having children so small and feel really lucky because I have a lot of girlfriends who had kids before I did that are now teens and in their twenties. And so, you know, you, I really, got a lot of the talking to like, it goes by so fast or it da, da, da. And it does. And I'll say that because I have such an intention around the everydayness of grieving two and a half to three to, to this smallness, to this size, I feel very present in where they are. Whereas I do feel that a lot of the times we are so avoidant of the grief of life beginning and changing and being different every day. And the growing upness of ourselves and our loved ones and our children, the avoidance is, I think, often what makes it feel like, oh my God, it just happened. Where did it go? And to me, this idea that we can just, again, whether it's the shedding, whether it's the new day, all of these very natural ideas, allowing them to be this everyday way of looking at life, which is what 
you know, the Buddha is doing it, you know, is doing it. And every spiritualist will tell you for a few thousand years, for a few thousand <laughs> years, or, you know, my dad in New Orleans who say it bees that way. Like it is what it is. And today is what it is. And it's only the childhood only went by too far if I am avoiding the grief of, uh, you know, or uh, stuck in the past of who they once were and how I felt when they were that versus how I feel with who they are today. And, but if I just am in, it is what it is. And the sun is going to go down and the sun's going to come up and it be that way. I mean, to embody that moment to moment feels really scary, but it's actually an incredibly calming experience because you do allow yourself to be, observe, feel. And to me, it's been more of a, it's been a helpful way to even cope. You know, it's this way of having an inhale and an exhale of these, you know, whether it's the atrocities of our world or, you know, our neighborhoods or whatever goes on to just say, you know, and not without compassion and not without empathy and not without all of the a very alive and important parts, fundamental parts of who we are that our world so desperately needs, but to say, okay, this is what it is. How can I be helpful? Obviously, we want to be these, you know, I always say like the kind of Mr. Rogers, find the helpers, be the, we find the helpers often by being the helpers. Uh, and so, you know, we want to help and how can I be at service and what can I do? But the ways in which to cope with these very particular times of life have been here for for thousands of years, you know, and it has, it is through presence. It is through service. It is through gratitude. We don't need to reinvent the wheel on coping with and still being a loving person in a broken world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like one of the earlier poems in the book where you write present here I am. Like we're trying to get back to that place. Yes. I would love if you're up for it as we sort of come full circle in our conversation. Is there one poem that you feel um, inspired to sort of like close out a conversation with? Mm, okay. Let me see if I can find it. You know, I didn't have like, um, I didn't have a hard copy of this book for so long. And so I had this PDF. Um, this is called How It Goes. It's been raining and raining and raining and raining. It rained so much, it felt like it would rain forever. Then one day, at 5.30 p.m., abruptly, with no notice at all, the sky was dry, clear, hot pink and orange. There was even a little purple woven in. That's what it's like, isn't it? Your heart is broken, and every day is sad, until one day, all at once, with no notice you find beauty again. Hmm. Thank you. I love that one. When I first wrote it, I thought of how it feels when you're going through a relationship breakup. And then as I read it on my tour, most people experienced it with their grief. And I didn't realize that. I, I, I didn't, um, it was um, you know, something I've always felt so grateful about in over the years with my work is that you know, you have something and it'll resonate with somebody who was a teenager and someone who's 75 who are going through radically different things. And you're like, how wild that this, you know, and, and that's always my goal is that how can it be wide enough 
but feel intimate enough that can serve you no matter who you are and what you're going through, but not be so wide. It feels like it's um, for no one, but it could also be for anyone. And it always surprises me when that happens, that how I wrote it takes on a wildly different life than um, what it meant for me when I wrote it. So Yeah, no, I love that too. Good place for us to come full circle. So in this container of a good life project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? To live a good life is possible when you prioritize having a life and allowing a life that has real aliveness. This idea that you can have a good life when you want life. You know, you want a live life, juicy, squeezy, amazing, you know, that kind of you're not looking for the things that make life this labor and obligation after another, after da-da-da, you say, gosh, life today, boom, wow, awe, that hope for yourself or way to orient that, if you can orient your life towards that goal, a good life that I believe is very possible. Mm. Thank you. Hey, before you leave, if you love this episode, Safe Bet, you'll also love the conversation we had with Sue Monk Kidd about life transitions and changing lanes. You'll find a link to Sue's episode in the show notes. This episode of Good Life Project was produced by executive producers Lindsay Fox and me, Jonathan Fields. Christopher Carter crafted our theme music and special thanks to Shelley Adele for her research on this episode. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and follow Good Life Project in your favorite listening app. And if you found this conversation interesting or inspiring or valuable, and chances are you did since you're still listening here, would you do me a personal favor, a seven second favor and share it? Maybe on social or by text or by email, even just with one person. Just copy the link from the app you're using and tell those you know, those you love, those you want to help navigate this thing called life a little better so we can all do it better together with more ease and more joy. Tell them to listen. Then even invite them to talk about what you've both discover because when podcasts become conversations and conversations become action, that's how we all come alive together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off for Good Life Project.